0: Welcome to the Med Street Journal. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Med Street Journal. My name is Rodney Hu, and today I'm joined by another very special guest, Mr. Tim Washburn. He is the Chief Clinical Officer of Electronic Caregiver, and they're a cool, innovative company that's coming out, and they have digital health products that are modernizing care, and so. I'm excited to have Tim on and allow him an opportunity to share his story and what they're kind of doing in the healthcare industry and how they are pushing the needle. So with that being said, Tim, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you, Rodney. It's a pleasure to be here. I appreciate you taking the time to chat with us.
0: Oh, so yeah, why don't we just jump into it? Why don't you give people a brief background of who you are and kind of how you got into healthcare?
1: Sure, so uh, I've been a registered nurse, originally from upstate New York. We're almost 30 years now, done quite a lot of different types of jobs in healthcare, including uh, well over a decade in leadership positions. I actually originally got into healthcare um, from making car batteries. Uh, back when NAFTA was a thing, I was in an automobile battery manufacturing facility in Vermont. NAFTA came along and it, it ended my job there, and I leveraged the opportunity to get into healthcare uh, because my first wife had cystic Fibrosis. So I had a lot of experience, uh, and just decided to formalize that when the opportunity came up. So that's how I got into healthcare.
0: Nice. And so, right now, you're the chief clinical officer of a company, Electronic Caregiver. Um, so, give a brief background on that company and kind of what you guys are doing, and what is your guys' main focus?
1: Sure. So, Electronic Caregiver was founded by a fellow named Anthony Dorman uh, back in 2009. Our focus has always been on the safety and health of individuals. Originally, a lot of our work was aimed at a a basic product, an entry-level product that provided personal emergency response, medication reminders, some other unique things in the home care space, in the telemonitoring at home, that is, of folks. And so over the years, there was was a plan around bringing different levels of technology. Uh, Premier was our first. Uh, The one that was released uh, almost two years ago now is ProHealth. That's the one that has both the personal emergency response as an option as well as telemonitoring capability related to vital signs as well as surveying and some other components that really are a next step up. And of course, the the next product coming out the end of this year in beta is Addison, the virtual caregiver. Our focus has always been on how do you maintain someone safely in their home so they can stay there as long as practical, and we minimize not only the human cost of avoidable issues with aging, but also the economic cost to both individuals, their families and their country. Roughly 3% of the United States can afford home care and home health. A lot of our technology is designed to be that that stop gap. So you may still have those services, but with our technology, you can now help monitor that loved one at home all the way up through Addison, which is that virtual caregiver I mentioned.
0: Nice, and so you bring up Addison, and as I was doing research on it, one of the cool things that really stuck out to me is that there is an actual like 3D animated character, caregiver who's like handling the interactions. Can you kind of speak on that? Like how did you guys come up with that idea? What?
1: Sure, this, sure. The
0: thought process.
1: Yeah, yeah, the, the idea was again, along the lines of maintaining folks in their home as long as possible. What we recognized is the first two products, um, really the the entry and the middle, and uh, pro health, really good at managing certain tasks. Addison came about because the simple the simple idea was you can't fall in love with a speaker grill, right? So if I'm a if I'm someone at home, in order to impact health behaviors, engage, you need something folks can relate to. So Addison, that 3D 3D virtual caregiver. She was designed to not only interact, but to interact by a voice, to have an, an embedded RealSense camera so she can watch you take medications or she can watch you your gait and sort of see if there's any potential issue. Really the concept of how do I go to the next level, Addison, the virtual caregiver, with her special speakers, with her special RealSense camera, and all the functionality you can gain when you start assessing or monitoring folks more than just verbal interactions, but actually watching them do a physical therapy routine or watching their gait, watching them get up out of a chair and seeing if there's a change over time, all sort of autonomously, all passively through that device. And to really do the other thing, which is to connect with a care team in meaningful ways. One of the big problems in healthcare, I know we're gonna to get to this, one of the big problems in healthcare is there's all kinds of data now. So really providers who become overwhelmed with data, what they really want, what they really need is real-time actionable data that can be customized in a way. So if you have a given client or patient who is having an issue with gait, you don't need to know every day they're normal. You wanna get notified when there's a change that could represent a potential problem. So the promise of Addison is really along that journey, continuing with real-time actionable data, but adding this this next level interaction with the camera and the speakers, it, it's really the concept of how do we go from good to better to best? Addison will be best. Our current products are better. We we look at it in that in that fashion.
0: Ah, nice. So she's kind of she's the upgrade. She's the next level.
1: She is. Yeah, nice. yeah. It's really cool. Absolutely. So it's not
0: just the monitoring and the data collection, but. It's being able to analyze those results in real time and connect them to somebody right. if needed, right? Yeah,
1: you know, lot, a lot of folks misunderstand the concept of technology and health, and, and a lot of companies focus on, I'm gonna create this thing to replace this service. And, I, you know, a nurse for a very long time, right? Almost 30 years. I think that's the wrong approach. electronic caregiver, that's not our approach at all. We we look at this from the continuum of care perspective and we acknowledge, we, we, we embrace as a matter of fact, all those services that are provided by humans that are necessary. You're never gonna have a box that's gonna cook your mom a meal, right? So, so what you wanna do is leverage technology across that continuum to really fit that client's needs wherever they are. We look at all of our devices really as a platform as a service model. So you may start out with Premier being a good device. It's the right technology for you. And then as your needs change, as maybe you start developing chronic illness, maybe it makes sense to move to the pro-health. It's the same basic ethos. It's the same back-end management. We get the data. We apply logic to that data, and we're able to notify. You can fill in the blank on any of that. But as your needs change, we want you to be able to stick with the same company you know and trust, stick with the same basic platform, but change that interface, go from Rear to pro health, all the way up to Addison. And that's what's so exciting about Addison. You'll be able to do things with folks that have Alzheimer's that you can't do with just the voice interaction. You need that, that touch screen, you need that interactive voice, you need some of the functionality. But our goal is not to create a single piece of technology. Lots of people do that. We wanna, We wanna create a continuum of products that really fit along the continuum of care so that whatever you need, you're able to get that from one from one company or from our company, which has a lot of partners, you know, physicians that do telehealth, we partner with them. Um, lab testing, if you need it for COVID, we have partners that can do that. Really, the goal is not to create seven different things for a doctor or a private individual to have to weed through, but instead, work with us and we'll help create the right system for you that combines the technology and some of those medical services, partners with home health, home care, whatever that is, we can work with you across all of those things. But for you, you don't wanna have to shop seven different services, very complex. You would much rather have, especially if you're a provider, a single solution that I can tailor to meet my needs. And that's a big part of what we do here. We're not a trick pony. We're not a dump and run technology company. We really focus on solutions And leverage that technology with the right people, provide the right care at the right time in the right place.
0: Ah, I like that. I really like that. And so one thing that stood out to me is when you're talking about understanding the patient journey and Mm -hmm. what they have to go through and how technology can complement that journey rather than like compete. You want to have technology that can complement and that would make it easier to integrate into their overall health journey. So that's kind sure, of sure it's thought.
1: all about it's all about engagement. I mean, I mean ultimately folks sometimes believe that technology will cause engagement. That's actually the opposite of truth. The truth is that engagement is created through relationships. Now, now whether that's we have a, we have a private dealer master care network, right? Whether it's through that private dealer working with you or your mom in their home to get them a premier or pro health, get them set up right, help them understand it. There's a relationship that's created and and really engagement is driven by effective relationship building, whether that's in the home on the private side of things, whether that's through your doctor, even whether that's through your payer, your insurance company, right? What we really focus on here at ECG is understanding those relationships and developing a process that lets our technology be plugged in with those different sources of help to create that solution for the client across the care continuum at whatever level they need to be at, but really focused on what's the most safe and effective way to do the thing that matters to us the most, the right care at the right time in the right place, really hoping helping that client stay in their home, whatever their home is.
0: Nice. And so you, folk, you mentioned focusing on engagement and mm-hmm. relationship building. And I know um, Addison, they're for patients, they're caregivers and providers. And so how are you facilitating engagement around what you guys are trying to do, whether it's with the patients or the caregivers? How are you guys building those relationships and what are you guys doing?
1: Sure, there, there's a few parts, and, and one of the most important first parts is the user interface. So if we're talking about Premier Pro Health, um, literally, you, you, we get an order, and it defines the system that we're going to send and who we're going to send it to, and who the responsible party is, all of that. But we build that system out, we test that system before it leaves our facility, so that what the end user gets is something they can plug in and turn on. And, and that really is it. So there, so a, a lot of our competition will have in the remote patient monitoring space, they'll have an application on a tablet and then they will expect the 80-year-old with arthritis, uh, glaucoma, maybe mild dementia, to be able to understand and navigate the application that pair the device to the tablet and then know to take their temperature or their blood pressure to work all of this and really we say from an engagement standpoint is you've got to meet the client where they are not based on the limitations of a poorly designed technology. So for an 80 year old with those things with those illnesses, the pro health plug and play turn it on. We can partner with an entire care um, coordination company that can really help them stay on track and the reimbursed side, the remote patient monitoring side. And then on the other side of that, We can work with that responsible party, with our master care dealer, all of those things to again, create that easy to use system that fits the needs. So step one, it's gotta be easy to use. It's gotta be meaningful. They have to see value in it. You and I are no different. You wouldn't buy a car that wouldn't run. Why would you buy technology that you're not capable of managing or don't want to manage? So our first step is always the user interface. Again, as platform as a service, We can tailor some of that user interface to meet the needs of clients in varying stage, from independence to having some needs. Then the other part that's really important is, again, connecting to the care team. That means something different to different types of care teams. I'm a primary care provider taking care of Tim's mom who might have high blood pressure. I want to know when her blood pressure is out of bounds as I define it. I do want access to all the normal data if I want to see it, but what I'm really worried about is catching it before the train goes off the tracks. So if mom's got high pressure and she has one day where it's a little high, that's a certain level of concern. With our systems, we can connect to the care team and notify of them of that in real time. So the moment that happens, somebody can reach out and talk to mom. But beyond that, we have the capability of applying logic over time, so maybe you know, once is no big deal, but if it happens a few times, you know, that's a different story. Or if it's a CHF, congestive heart failure patient, and I'm monitoring weight. the so weight goes up 2%, that's different than if it goes up 5% over a given time frame. So when we talk about real-time actionable data, most companies can't do this. We can and intentionally do do this. We build in the ability to customize based on a given provider's expectations and the care plan for that patient. So you combine the user interface with customization allows you to create an actual safety net, if you will, for that client. And you're not oversaturating anybody with too much to do in terms of managing the system or too much to manage in terms of data fatigue. We really combine those and make pertinent to a given customer and a given client. That's really our secret sauce, frankly.
0: Nice. I like that. You guys have like a perfect mixture of, Technology and having people being able to analyze that data and step in when needed, but being able to simplify technology, I think that's actually super powerful, especially when you're dealing with healthcare and like majority of the patients are maybe older. Like the learning curve for them to learn new technology is going to be a lot steeper (laughs) than the average. Sure,
1: sure. We we have an adage here. We like to hide our technology behind the functionality, mm -hmm. so. Think about it. Based on what I need, intuitively, my system should work like that. And it, you know, full transparency, it's not over overly rocket science-like. You know, if you were to go to a doctor and say, doctor, would you like a thousand blood pressure readings? Or would you like only the five that are out of bounds amongst your thousand patients? Of course, they're going to say, tell me the abnormal. So, if, So if you think about it from that perspective, it's about augmenting and streamlining that connection, not about replacement. Thank God, we we do not, there are companies out there that are claiming AI will replace doctors. I'll be retired well before that happens and personally I believe that's never actually going to be effective and and that's another topic. Happy to get another blog with you on if you want to, But, but the concept really is not replacement but augmentation and right sizing or aligning healthcare and technology with incentives on on the payer side to create a really economical, sustainable healthcare model that puts patients and outcomes first while still maintaining a robust healthcare system that has hospitals available when you break your leg.
0: Hmm. Nice. And so kind of segue into the next question that I was kind of thinking about is because you have, like you mentioned, a lot of partnerships, you have multiple products, you've done a lot of research in this space. And so from your point of view, what sort of trends are you noticing in the industry? Where do you kind of see the industry going right now?
1: Well, you know, I, the, COVID, um, the COVID-19 crisis really spotlighted and I think accelerated a really important change culturally. And that is around the acceptance of telehealth, Uh, Telehealth uh, is really defined as both telemedicine, a physician remotely interacting with a client and telemonitoring, and our equipment falls into that latter category, that is technology in someone's home that can gather certain information and efficiently share that with the care team. So one of the big trends that we've seen is necessity has driven us to really be accepting of telehealth in ways we weren't. And so that's a big trend. I think the other big trend is the concept of of ownership. So it's been said for years that uh, patients need to do a better job of taking ownership for their care. Well, I would argue with you that if the system is set up to require Tim to wait in a waiting room for two hours next to the other 14 people who may have any number of things wrong with them, including potentially COVID, that you really can't say that engagement is all the fault of of patients not being willing. The fact is, systematically, we've set up a very expensive system with some real barriers around transportation, around convenience. The trend now is to really say that the consumer-driven age, which had started, has been really accelerated with COVID. And now, because I can do telehealth and my insurer will waive the copay, for example, now, suddenly, I start to look at telehealth and my options from, from a primary care perspective much more broadly. And so I think we're definitely seeing that sense of two hours in the waiting room. No, thank you. You know, that was my great-grandfather's health system, and I don't want that. I think that's the biggest change. I think another big change is just around the whole concept of data management and technology's role in general. We're seeing physicians and health systems because they have to really accept that I'm not going to make that patient wait in the waiting room for two hours. I'm going to build my system around prioritizing who I see in person versus how I manage those folks that I can manage with telehealth, telemedicine first. Big change there. And of course, you're seeing CMS say, Medicare say, look, at the end of the day, we're going to pay this the same because turns out 80%, roughly 80% of the care that could be given a doctor's office in terms of assessment can be equivocally managed through telehealth. So you're seeing not only change in culture, but a realignment of some of those benefits through the payers, which all bodes toward the, the, the need to really think about moving patients around versus changing the way we deliver care in a way that's much more logical and safe. And I think it's great. I mean, COVID is a horrible thing, but there are some things we're learning and developing from it that are good and they're important and they're overdue.
0: Okay. That's awesome. Yeah. That's interesting how you mentioned that and how COVID has affected the entire industry as a whole,
1: mm-hmm.
0: whether it's telemonitoring, telehealth, or just how we, we're communicating now over Zoom mm-hmm. or video conferencing, you know? And sure. it's interesting how COVID's affected the industry, but how has COVID affected you guys as a company and how have you guys pivoted around this whole crazy pandemic?
1: Yeah, you know, there, there's a there's a good question. So back um back when COVID first hit, um, we had already we decided actively to provide our client, our our sorry, our staff with the pro health. And the idea was we 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 sent out a survey, we allowed them to take their temperature, and using logic that we just had baked into our system, supervisors could get notified if Tim uh, had a temperature, or if he had some issue with, you know, not feeling well. So we actually deployed our technology using ProHealth, and since then have created a few other products specific to this space around the very simple concept of, if I were to have someone at home and they don't feel good, there are certain individuals that need would need to know that. In the case of us as an employer, we need to know that about our employees. We also have the ability to wrap in telehealth. We have we have our own partner uh, where you can get a physician 24-7 via phone. So we basically created this package, this process, this protocol for all of our employees. We pre-screen them at home. We give them access to a doctor, no cost to them. You know, it's not like they have to pay a copay. They can talk to a doctor. It's included in the subscription for them and up to seven family members. And we really went out to the whole... What can we do to keep you home and know if you have an issue before you get to our building? So this is all day when everybody said, oh, we'll just check, check their temperature at the door, which we now know is a late or never sign. So we're well ahead of the curve on it. We've been doing that since February. I mean, this is not new to us. Nice. And fun fact, uh, the number of positive COVID cases in our employees that actually got to work, zero. Nice. Zero. And that's because we've had lots of employees or I should say some occasions where someone hasn't felt well or they're running a temp. And we incorporated knowing that into an HR policy where we would pay to get them tested. So there was no risk they would come in. Now, we've taken that same ethos. We actually have a few new products that are a little different than our standard. They're web app-based products where we do the same concept. Imagine if you want to go to a concert. We have a product where you can subscribe. It's called Addison Pass you can self-report your temperature, you can answer the CDC questions and you can actually get a pass, a scannable code on your phone. And we can, we can set that so you need one or two or three or seven or 14 days of no problems, no known problems before you get the pass, the actual scannable pass. So now you can go to that concert, you can be scanned as you go into the building, they'll scan that code and in the venue will have record that you did not report any symptoms. It's like TSA pre-screening, you can scan and go, but that is the way I think we reopen our our, um, entire country. We've seen the concept of, we're gonna shut everything down and we're already seeing this next wave, lots of news media reporting, they think it's because people have got complacent when the reality, in my opinion, having worked with a lot of patients over my life is one of the reasons that they're getting complacent is not complacency, but frustration. If the only thing you're going to tell someone is say no to drugs, we tried this in the 80s with Nancy Reagan, right? That did not work. So we have the same basic ethos here with the pandemic. It isn't that people don't want to do the right thing. What is the system we've set up that aligns incentives with an ability to get back to some sense of normal? So all of what we've been doing is really focused on the stuff we've always done—the ability to get data, to apply logic, and to let those who need to know that information know it in near real time—done the same thing with our web apps. We have Addison Pass, uh, we have Wall Pass, and we have a Protector Initiative, all which kind of build on that. And they're all web-based apps you can use them on your phone. Very small monthly charge, and it really allows you to manage as an employer or as a, as a concert. Uh, auditorium, you know, a venue, the ability to manage that pre-screening in a, in a very manageable and way, but keeping safe concept of please don't show up at my door if you don't feel good. And I have some actual real-time data to know that and to manage that appropriately. It's a different alternative to the, alternative to the, just say no. Instead, it's really focused on the let's work together create a strategically important and manageable sustainable system for minimizing risk. We keep just saying, no, people are going to keep getting more frustrated. Hmm. You're going to more people just opt not to because what's the difference. You've got to have a positive vision for the future. Our technology is really aimed at that across all levels.
0: Awesome. Awesome. I really like that. And so you mentioned you guys have a lot of other products available other than just the 3d virtual caregiver Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. i understand what you guys are doing as a whole and how you guys are just trying to disrupt disrupt the industry as electronic caregiver but what sort of problems have you guys encountered as a company what sort of resistance have you guys faced when trying to get your products out or trying to get your message out to the market
1: You know, that's a great question, and it's a fairly long list, but I'll try to narrow down a few that I think are really relevant. Uh, The first one is a sense of it really can't be that easy. So one of the main businesses we have is on the reimbursed or payer side of things around remote patient monitoring and Medicare. So, you know, I I focused on that when I first came on board here, and uh, it's a revenue source for doctors. It's a benefit covered by Medicare literally medicare patients with chronic illness can get our technology a 24/7 care coordination team and the doctor will also get new revenue at essentially the cost of just the copay for a patient it's it literally is the best thing ever one of the big problems has been well that sounds too good to be true because normally when you deal with medicare it's it's not frankly like that it's it's you know a doctor bills for a code we we've really taken the whole methodology and created that solution as a turnkey solution for docs. So too good to be true, there's one big barrier. Another big barrier is is culture. So a lot of folks, including me, uh, I'm 53, but in my head, I act like I'm 19, (laughs) not 19 anymore. So So when it comes to home safety on the private side, or even when it comes to managing your chronic illness, Folks with chronic illness don't see themselves as the chronic illness. They see themselves as Tim Washburn. And that illness isn't that thing that overtakes their whole day until it gets really, really bad. It's more that thing, yeah, I got to worry about that sometimes. So some of the culture around that, that sense of, you know, I'm, I'm fine. I'll be okay. Uh, I don't need to worry about falls. I'm not going to fall. When the reality is... That's a huge part of the problem for those that age. And there's this sort of, there's this progression over time of realization, but it doesn't happen immediately. And it certainly doesn't represent all the time the actual calendar age of a human. A lot of 84-year-olds, they get up on a ladder and they're fixing the roof. And some of them are great and that's fine. Some aren't. So those two things are a big deal. And then the last thing I would say is around the way telehealth in the past has been equated with outcomes. Really has been believed for a long time that telehealth isn't as good as in-person visits. Part of that is technology has certainly gotten better. And then part of that is the whole concept of exclusionary practices. So if I'm a payer and I'm gonna have to pay for seven telehealth visits because they're convenient, they're easy, Um, they're they're low tech, you know, a patient can do that quickly. There's a certain cost to all of those visits versus going to a doctor's office where we know there's some systematic barriers waiting in there for two hours. For example, being in the same room with a child with the flu, those kinds of things. So there's some of that alignment of incentives that are just related to an acceptance of telehealth from the industry standpoint which is a little different than the cultural standpoint from the patient at home. But those three are big ones that we've seen and, and how have we overcome it? Well, you know, A, you make sure the user, user interface is good, you build partnerships, you actively seek out opportunities to work with payers in different payment models so that there is some credibility and some sense that you're in this with them and you want to be their partner. You're not just trying to sell technology, that's not my job at all. I want to partner with healthcare providers across the continuum, create a solution that is sustainable, gives better outcomes, and saves everybody money that shouldn't be spent if you don't need to.
0: Ah, okay. Ah, I like those. And so we're kind of coming up towards the end of the interview, but I just have one more question before we end with our last exercise, and it's. What sort of advice would you give to other professionals in the industry trying to tackle the same kind of problems that you guys, whether it's the telehealth or remote patient monitoring or just integrating technology into the patient journey? Like, what should they be focusing on? What sort of advice do you have?
1: Sure. So there's a few real high points. One, begin with the end in mind. If you're a company that's getting ready to get into a new project or or a new book of business, really understand your customer. In our case, you know, clients aren't these folks with diseases. Clients are just people who also happen to have certain healthcare needs. If you start with how I get a client to engage, build your technology off of that and your processes all off of that and how you connect with existing healthcare resources, you know, begin with the end in mind and work your way back. It's, it's again, it's, it's not rocket science. I'd love to tell you I'm the smartest guy on the planet, but I'm not. I, I've just, I've been on all sides and that's how I think and that's how most people think. Be agile, be adaptable. You know, the coronavirus is a really challenging thing. And what we expected to happen, most of us has. We now see another uptick. There's lots of reasons for that. We've got to be adaptable and learn from our mistakes. So if we're not gonna present a way to do pre-screening and a way to effectively open up strategically safely, we're gonna see, I think, a massive increase. People will just stop trying. There's no positive vision for the future. So as you're thinking about healthcare, don't think about it as the one thing you do. Think about it, the thing you do that's related to the other 99 things in healthcare. So be be adaptable, think out of the box, think from the end. And I guess the last thing would be, you know, don't get too full of yourself. Just because you're a great product does not mean you have changed anything in healthcare. It is the building of an organized solution around key deliverables, key pieces of technology or process or key partnerships, relationships that will impact healthcare. Not any one thing but an organized approach around all things on the relationship level. That would be my my advice.
0: Awesome, awesome. Excellent advice, man. <laughs> um, Thanks. so We are coming up towards the end of the interview and I like to, we've been talking about a lot of high level things, a lot of important things relating to the industry, but I like to end the interview with a little more lighter exercise, something I call the rapid fire round. So I have a list of questions. Sure. I'm just gonna ask you. The questions and you give me whatever answer you come up with all right all right question number one what is your favorite book of all time
1: lord lord of the rings oh okay Nice. those are a big ones. book
0: <laughs> like the book's better than the movie too
1: i yep yep
0: uh, number two who is the most influential person in your life or career
1: so i i can't give you one but i'll give you a category it would be my wife's my first wife Uh, who had CF cystic fibrosis and passed away Um, was influential because I'm in healthcare because of her did not start out in upstate New York thinking I would be a registered nurse, full transparency, pretty traditional hillbilly kind of upbringing. Um, But because of the care I had to give her, uh, I learned uh, to love that. And then uh, after she passed, I was blessed. I, I was able to find another love of my life. And so my second wife is, is, I would say now, and that, that's just a matter of, she keeps me grounded, man. I mean, at the end of the day, I can't get too full of myself when I get home and she tells me to weed the backyard, and then I go weed <laughs> <in> the <dark. laughs> okay. It's good. So I would say my wives, uh, for those two reasons.
0: Nice. I respect that answer. <laughs> um, what is one goal you want to accomplish this year?
1: To get Addison, the virtual caregiver, out in beta test, and I am very confident we will do that. Awesome. Awesome.
0: And then last one, what is one piece of advice you would give to your 20-year-old self?
1: Oh, wow. Um, I think it would be stay focused. You you know, as as you get older and you you get a career, in my case, and you're focusing on different things, there's this this tendency to believe that whatever, wherever you happen to be is is the end, or, or, you know, just stay there. Um, Staying focused on not just accepting a job, but really on expecting and anticipating in the change you wish to see in the healthcare system. In my case, that is absolutely necessary. That'd be my advice. I think that I came to that a little bit later. In the last five or six years, I've really focused on making a change systematically, taking ownership for that beyond just my particular role or job. So I wished I'd started that sooner because I I think I would have been farther ahead and who knows, maybe some of the things that took 20 years might not have taken quite so long. Mm, okay.
0: Excellent piece of advice. I think that's the perfect way to end today's episode. Tim, I just wanna thank you again for just jumping on, taking some time sure. out of here to share your knowledge and what you're doing over at um, Electronic Caregiver and what you guys are doing with Addison, the virtual 3D caregiver, that's pretty cool. And all the other amazing products you guys are putting into the digital health market. Um, and so I just wanna say thank you. I've, I learned a lot.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you for having me. Give me a call anytime. I I love to teach and I love to have these kind of talks. They make a difference, I think.
0: Yeah, definitely. And so, um, speaking of that, where can people learn more about what you're working on and how can they connect with you?
1: So, we have a website, um uh, ecg i'm sorry, electroniccaregiver.com. Um you can go on there and learn all about us. Uh, our number is 1833 ECG Life, um, and certainly, you know, you can you can always reach out to me. Uh, my email is uh, T as in Tim, and my last name Washburn. Word Wash, word Burn, at ECG-HQ.com. And in any of those methodologies, we'd love to talk with you. It's easier than you think. You can make a difference a lot easier than you think working with us, and we'd love to hear from you
0: awesome. Awesome. I'll be sure to include those links in the resources below. Um, but other than that, thanks again for coming on and I'll catch you guys on the next episode.